This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to pick up tonight with the last verse in this chapter. And uh, it is uh, something that's impacted with great doctrine. And so in this passage of Scripture, Peter is writing, well, let's go back. I think uh, verse 21 would give us a better launching pad for tonight to get into verse 22. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. And again, you notice those parentheses. We spent all Wednesday night talking about that last week. Not putting away the filth of the flesh. Baptism doesn't save us from our wretchedness. But the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that tells us who we're talking about in this particular passage. In verse 22, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. All right, so verse 22, this is definitely talking about Jesus and where he is right now. In the margin of your Bible beside verse number 22, perhaps you would write this scripture down, Acts chapter 1, verse number 11. I think it would be helpful to you, and that's what I try to do um, throughout this entire study is to give you cross-references that you can make uh, notations with, and then when you come across this passage again, you can have something that points you into another direction that gives you the same application and the same spiritual truth. So Acts chapter 1, verse number 11 goes very well with verse number 22 here. They have this passage of Scripture on the screen, and as we reflect once again at the beginning of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, who has gone into heaven, keep that in mind. That's where Jesus is right now. And Acts 1.11, the word says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, this is now 40 days after the Lord's resurrection. Uh, he has assembled all of his disciples to the Mount of Olives. His earthly work is done. He is now preparing them for the Comforter, the work of the Holy Spirit. He is giving them and us the Great Commission. And then something mysteriously begins to take place to these men, to these women, to these disciples. The Lord Jesus begins to ascend back to the Father. And the Scripture says, because they were all marveled at what they saw. There was an element of fear in their face. The scripture says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now here's the beauty for you and I. We did not see him when he went up, but we will see him when he comes down. Amen. Isn't that a glorious truth? We will see him when he comes down. Not an invitation, not a replica, not a representative, but we will see him. Scripture says the same Jesus. That it gives me a chill when I read those words and I take that thought. 
to heart the same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So these angels gave blessed assurance as to where Jesus is right now. And the scripture goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, that he is on the right hand of God. It's very specific where, where the Lord Jesus is. And so not only does the scripture tell us where he's at in heaven, but the word gives us precisely where he is on the right hand of God. But the scriptures also, there are three things in this passage, this one verse, there are probably three sermons, and that is this. Not only are we told where he is, positionally we know that he's at the right hand of the throne of God, but number three, it's at the end of the scripture here, and it says being where the angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So the thing is this, Peter is making it very clear that even though Jesus is in heaven and he's at the right hand of God, he is still very much in control. Look at this. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So uh, it's an awesome passage and uh, marvelous truths taught in that. All right, so now we get into chapter 4. And uh, there are some exciting things, I think, that we can uh, find in this as well. So we're going to begin with verse number 1. And the scripture says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Let's talk about this, because first of all, what an incredible life Jesus lived on this earth. Incredible. Going all the way back to Bethlehem's manger. And then you think about the experience that Mary and Joseph went through as they were providing shelter and food and all kinds of necessities for Jesus as a baby, an incredible life he lived. He had a precious mother. Uh, Joseph was the same loving person to Jesus as Mary was. But you think about from Bethlehem's manger to the experience that he had with Simeon early uh, at two years old, the scriptures are silent from that point until the time he was 12. And when Jesus turned 12, we find him in the temple teaching the doctors and the lawyers and the scribes. So there, there are some silent periods about the life, the earthly life of Jesus that the Holy Spirit uh, did not find the necessity to inform us on, and all we could do is speculate, and that's all it would be. And so we have his his birth to the time that he was two, and from the time he was two until the time he was 12, and then nothing is said about him from the time he was 12 until the time he was 30. And that's when he began his public ministry. Even though he was here, he did not begin his 
public ministry until the age of 30. And I will tell you, class, that's significant because it was the beginning of miracles. And let me ask you, what was the first miracle that Jesus performed? Turned the water into wine. Where? At the wedding. Where? Cana of Galilee. So that's important. That's That was the uh, initiation, so to speak, as as a barrage of miracles that he would uh, perform on this earth. And so the significant thing about this particular scripture, for as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, when Peter's writing this, Peter did not experience the Bethlehem manger thing, and he didn't experience the temple thing and, and the, him teaching in the temple. He, he didn't experience any of those things. But he was with the Lord Jesus pretty much on the onset of this miracle-working aspect of the Lord's ministry when the Lord began that. And he had walked with the Lord for a period of three and a half years. He had seen Jesus. He saw his miracles. He saw his healings. He saw or heard his teachings. There's a lot that Peter did see in these three and a half years. But one of the significant things that jumped out for me in my study, and I'm sure when you read this, Perhaps you've read this numerous times yourself, and maybe some of you have actually studied this passage, and you have come to some conclusions your own self by your own personal studies. But one of the most interesting things to me is this, that Peter had not only seen the high points of Jesus in this period of time, three and a half years, but he'd also seen the low points. He had not only seen the people that went away rejoicing, but he saw the people that had cast affliction and persecution uh, and cast scrutiny upon the Lord as well. Peter had seen Jesus suffering in this three-and-a-half-year period. But let me assure you of something. Jesus, that he knew before he arrived on this planet that he was going to suffer. He knew that. In fact, he knew that that was his purpose in his reasoning, Jesus knew that he would have to embrace suffering to come. His mission was to provide the atonement for our sins. There is a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21, that I want to read for you here. There, get this on the screen. And I want you to look at it. It says, from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples Look at these words, how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus knew before he got to this planet that he would have to die. He would have to experience unbelievable brutality. In fact, there is a passage of Scripture. I don't have it here on the screen for them back in the media tonight, but I want you to know this. The Bible says that he endured 
the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that word endure is a powerful word. It encompasses a tremendous and horrendous amount of brutality and pain and suffering. So when we go back to 1 Peter 4, 1, for as much then as Christ hath suffered, never escape the fact that he did suffer brutality way beyond my ability to give you a description of it. For us, as the scripture said, he suffered for us. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He suffered, he endured for us in the flesh. And there is a passage in Mark chapter 10, verse number 45. And as they get these scriptures on the screen for you, read them here tonight. Make a reference maybe perhaps in the margin of your Bible. But the word says, for even the Son of Man came. His purpose for coming he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's basically what we're talking about in this current series, Serving Together. Jesus came to serve. He came but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And it was done through the brutality of the cross, the rejection of his own people. The scripture says that he came into his own and his own received him not. So he was, he was brutalized not only physically but emotionally as well. So in this passage here, there's so much to say and to be seen. But Peter, Peter had, he had heard the Lord speak about his own death several times. In fact, I want you to look with me at Matthew. They'll get it. Let's look at it together on the screen tonight in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse number 21 through 25. We read these particular scriptures again. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22 teaches us this. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. In verse 23, the word says, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. In verse 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in verse number 25, For whoever, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And so Jesus was describing the horrific happenings that were going to take place from the time he was 30 to 33 and a half. And Peter had witnessed a lot of that. And, and the word says this in verse number one of chapter four again. Let's read it together again. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. And that was a key word for me in the study. 
And if you would maybe perhaps underline this word, arm yourselves, I want to say that this is exactly what you and I, as a believer, we must do every day. We have to arm ourselves. And how do we do that? We arm ourselves with the whole armor of God. We have to do that. And Peter's talking about arming ourselves for daily battles and struggles that we deal with and even things in the future we have to be careful about because the Word teaches us that the devil's like a roaring lion. We'll see that. If there is one thing that you must remember as a believer, when you study the opposition and you study the adversary, you cannot lose the fact, yes, you're going to heaven, you have a mansion on the hilltop, as the old song says, you have everlasting eternal life. But keep, keep in mind that there's a lot that happens before we get there. And we cannot lose sight of the fact that we are in a constant battle with Satan every day. Every day. Don't ever get to the place where you feel that the devil is too busy or too preoccupied to worry about you and the only person he's worried about is preacher. No. That's not, he's after me, but he's after you just like he's after me. And we are in spiritual warfare. I want you to see this scripture in Ephesians 6, and we're going to read these verses, verses 11 through 18. And we have to do what this passage of scripture is teaching us to do. We have to arm ourselves with the whole armor of God. So let's read these. Look at these scriptures here, and we'll read through verse uh, 11 through verse number 18. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor, not part of it, some of it, most of it, but the word says, take upon yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and all supplication for all saints. So let's go back now to chapter 4 and verse number 1, and Peter adds one more thought to this passage. He said, For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. All right. So let's personalize this just for a moment in the scripture because as a believer, a believer who has been persecuted should be a believer who has learned how to live victoriously in their life. A believer that has constantly been in the battle 
who has constantly been in the struggle, who has constantly been in some type of adversity. You've been persecuted, and you can count countless times that that has happened to you. But when these, let's try to think through this just for a minute, because when those kind of things happen to us, we not only learn and understand how volatile we are and how frail we are at times and how easy it is to be defeated and how easy it is to be cast down and how easy it is to be pulled away. But I would think and I would hope and I would pray that all of those struggles in our life, all of those times where we fell short or we we collapsed under pressure or we faded when we should have been strong, I would like to think and hope and pray that in those weak moments of our life that we would have also learned how to be victorious. That's more important. Okay? So when we fall short and we get ourselves in trouble, yes, and we learn lessons in those valleys. However, those valleys are for learning. And it would only be right if we would get to the place where we not only understand what it's like to be defeated and don't cast yourself down all the time, Learn a lesson from those personal turmoils and those personal struggles and learn how to be victorious. You can do that with the whole armor of God. We just read that. And so that's, that's imperative. That kind of person, listen now, when we learn as believers how to be victorious in life, that kind of person, this kind of person, though not perfect, none of us will ever be. None of us listen don't fool yourself. There's not a single one of us that can live a day on this earth in perfection. I don't well, Now look, we don't strive to do that. We don't set out to do that. And as a believer, our motivation ought not to be to sin. That we should not wake up in the morning figuring out a way how we can be buddies with the devil. That ought not to be our motivation. Because a believer by nature in Christ, we have, we have died to the flesh, so to speak. We have become a new creature in Christ. We have died to sin. And when I think about that, the world generally doesn't persecute carnal, wicked backslidden people who are believers. That kind of a person gives no threat to the devil for a person that's really living a life as a prodigal. The devil's not really intimidated by that. But you take a person who has been beat up and beat up and beat up, and they have learned that even though the devil has knocked them down, they are not knocked out. When the devil knocks them down, they keep standing back up. And the devil knocks them down, they stand back up. This is the kind of an individual that learns that the, the battle may be rough, it may be brutal, but you learn in those 
difficult times of your life, how to keep standing on your faith, how to keep standing in the word, how to take God's word uh, to heart. And a believer living close to the cross, I believe, is, is set out on a path of victory over sin, yet not perfect because there are many temptations that beset us all the time. And we have to be vigilant. We have to keep on the whole arm of God. But we have to learn, and I think by now most of us have learned how to be victorious in the day of battle. Verse number two. The word says this, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And as long as we're on this earth and these earthly bodies, we're going to we're going to be traveling in enemy territory. And if I could leave you with this thought tonight about your Christian faith, none of us should expect to get to heaven without a scratch or a fight. There are going to be a lot of wounded warriors, wounded soldiers, that crossed the finish line. That's why Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. We might be bruised and beat up and battle scarred. But thank God that's not the way we're going to spend forever. Amen. But we can expect victory in our life. And I close with this scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse number 37. The Bible says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Peter 4, 2 again, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. That's a very difficult thing to stay constantly refreshed in the Lord because there are so many adversities all around us. And we do get down. We do get cast down. We do get beat up. We do get carried away. But thank God there are loving angels. There's a Holy Spirit. There's a sympathizing Savior. There's a bomb in Gilead. There's the precious love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And we've got the whole armor of God. There's a lot going for us. To God be the glory. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.